You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. All right. Good morning. You know, if you haven't started this book, um, the Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, I do want to. I just want to continue to challenge us as a people to stretch in our faith, to stretch, to grow. And one of the ways we can do that is is by reading. By by, you can get it on on uh, audiobook and listen to it. Uh, in this story, which is the true story of, of um, Howard Taylor, or I'm sorry, Hudson Taylor, who uh, is a missionary to China, one of the things that he talks about is um, he, God put in his heart a desire to go on the mission field, but he knew he wasn't ready. He knew that um, if he went on the mission field that he would have to know more uh, about living by faith. And he thought, I don't think my faith really is big enough yet. And so he decided that he would begin to exercise his faith uh, and, uh, and stretch himself. And, and he was uh, pretty, uh, not destitute, but, but living on limited means um, and uh, didn't have a lot of resources. And so uh, every payday was an important thing, as many of us know. And so he decided and in that day, of course, there was no direct deposit. There was no auto pay. There was nothing like this. It was, he was dependent upon his boss to remember to write him a check or to give him pay. Uh, not a check, but actually to give him cash. And his boss would always forget. And, uh, and so he decided, you know what, Lord, I, I just want to grow in my faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow in my prayers. And, and, and so I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to remind him. I'm just going to pray that you remind him. And, uh, and so he did, and the guy didn't remember. And uh, the days passed, and he still didn't remember, and his prayers got a little bit more fervent. Uh, and, and until the day that just sort of almost miraculously, his boss looked at him and said, hasn't it been a little while since I've paid you? Uh, and, and it was just one little step that he took in stretching himself in prayer and in faith and saying, God is my provider. It, it, do I really believe that, and do, that prayer works? And do I know how to practice prayer in a way that moves? Because if Jesus says, right, whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, we loose in heaven. Either that's really true or it's just a fairy tale. Either we really believe it. And of course, we might believe it, but we don't actually live it. And oftentimes, we'll never see it unless we begin to live into it and stretch it. So I just man, was so challenged, reminded of that story of how sometimes we just have to decide, you know what, Lord, I, I do want to grow in this area. And so I'm going to stop doing my thing and begin to ask you to do your thing uh, and stretch in my faith in that way. So lots of little things in that book that are just encouraging and will challenge you. I want to encourage you to get into that. Uh, we are, of course, in the series Mind the Gap. We've got two weeks left. Next week is our last week. I'm hoping to talk my wife into uh, to joining me on stage and to teach, to teach with me next week. Do any of you think that's a good idea? Let her know right now. Just say, come on, come on. Will you do it, babe? Will, will you please do it with me next week? 
in this series, we're talking about the gaps in our faith, and we're talking about paying attention to those areas of uh, where, where something is missing, missing between our character and the character of Christ, uh, missing between our head and our heart, uh, missing uh, in our lives. And, and we know there are so many gaps. Oftentimes, uh, we see those things, and we go, man, what can I do? Well, uh, Paul actually says, hey, I, I, there's something we can do about this. We can actually begin to fill the gaps. And in Second Peter, uh, our verse, uh, verses 5 through 7 is the theme that we've been using, the outline we've been using for the series. And uh, if you haven't picked up the extra material, I want to encourage you to do that. Just two weeks left. Uh, even if you have not started the study, this is a great thing to have as a resource and a study that you can pick up anytime. Uh, there are free at guest services. There's videos online uh, as well as the weekend services. If you want to catch up, if you missed uh, the last couple of weeks or any of those, you can catch up on that. So make sure you do that. And all that material uh, video-wise is uh, at our website, caseyhanford.com slash Mind the gap. Okay, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, it'll be on the screen as it always is. Uh, it's also in your version Bible app. The notes for today and the outlines and the verses for today are under the events tab in the version app. Uh, I just got uh, an email that said that the version app has been downloaded, um, what was it, half a billion times? 500 million times uh, people have downloaded that app to read God's word, which is just so encouraging. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. That phrase... Make every effort to add to your faith. In N.T. Wright's uh, New Testament translation, which is really a, a pretty insightful, he translates make every effort as strain every nerve. In other words, this is something that we are really challenged to do by, by Peter. He's, it's not just a nice idea. He's not just saying, hey, this is, this, is, this is a list that you should memorize. He's saying, no, we should make every effort within our body, strain every ligament and muscle and nerve in our body to push into this thing of adding to our faith. What's, I think, neat about this list is that the foundation of the list is our faith. It is our faith in Jesus Christ. It begins with him. This is not just a list of things that we're just trying to do so that we can be better people. This is not just a list of virtues and things. This is, he says, no, the, actually the very foundation of what we're doing, the source of strength for us to be able to do it is our faith. A couple of verses earlier, if you were just to back up in that chapter in verse three, uh, this is what it says, and this is on the screen. It says, Peter says, God has bestowed upon us through his divine power everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. So in other words, the reason we can even begin to do this is because Jesus himself, his, he has given us his righteousness. Through him, now we have everything that we need, and by his power, by his Holy Spirit, we then are able to engage in this project of filling the gaps. 
right? So we're not just saying just, you know, you need to try harder. We're saying we need to lean into the Holy Spirit more and be obedient to him. And through his power, through his ability, then it's his work that happens through us that makes it possible for us to be different. I want to be different. I don't know about you. I I got some gaps in my life. There's some areas that I need to grow in. There's some things that I need to learn. There's some things that need to change and adjust inside of me. There's some things in my heart that are still just really kind of stinky and that need to be dealt with. And so I need the gap filler. I need hold the Holy Spirit to work with me. The list, I think, is interesting. I remember as a teenager asking my dad, reading this verse, I said, Dad, do you think this, this list is progressive, right? Does it like you have to, do you have to work on one and then go to the uh, next one and go to the next one? And, and it's, I think in particular, you can see, you can make a logical connection between each of those items in the list to the next one. But in particular, these last three, this week and the last two weeks, you definitely can see it. If you look, I think it's verse seven, right? It says, um, add... Uh, to your knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, right? So self-control, perseverance, and godliness. Those have been the last two weeks, and now this week is godliness. So self-control is controlling yourself. It's learning how to control your internals. It's not doing necessarily what your flesh wants to do. It's being able to, to wait. It's being able to say no. Uh, last night, we were at a dinner, and uh, one of the people that was at the table with us, he didn't eat his dessert, and it was a good dessert. It was a beautiful dessert. I ate all of my dessert. Well, I, I left a little, a little bite because I had self-control, because I said, I'm going to leave that little, you know how we do that little trick to ourselves, like, yeah, I actually have control, because we just leave the little bite. I mean, come on, this guy didn't eat any of it, because he, he, he is on a particular path to make sure that he, what he puts in his body, right, he's, he's controlling, he's in self-control. Well, when you have self-control in your life, over your time, over your finances, over yourself, over your diet, all those types of things, what ends up happening is that then you are able to persevere, Last week we talked about perseverance. We talked about that being able to to remain under challenges, remain under testing, and do it in a way that honors God. Well, you can't persevere unless you're able to control yourself, right? You can't persevere and stand uh, under those times of testing, difficulty, trial, all those things that are going on, unless you're able to control your mouth and shut up. Unless you're able to control your legs and not run away, right? Unless you're able to control your hands and not get into the business that where that is God's business and you start trying to take over, right? So when you have self-control, then suddenly you can step into this place of perseverance where, where now because I can hold myself and direct myself to trust in the Lord, I can stand up and say, now, Lord, you're in control. And I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to put my head back, my head up and my shoulders back. And I'm going to say, Lord, you're the one that's in control. You're the one that's in power. You're the one that's righteous. And so I'm going to walk through this difficulty. I don't understand it. I don't see it. It doesn't all make sense to me. I don't understand what's going on in the world today. But I am going to persevere because you are the God who sees all, who knows all, who is able to do all. And so as we persevere then, then the next thing that happens is in in that logical order, Peter says, is there's God godliness that begins to happen in you. That godliness is, let, let me give you a definition, and by the way, the, the title of the message today is training to be good. Training to be godly. Training uh, to be goodly, if you, would, if you would want to say it that way. Godliness or piety, those, those are the two words that this particular Greek word could be translated as, is godliness or piety. Um, those of you that are taking notes, are you taking notes? Pretend with me like you're taking notes. 
wave the notes at me if you're taking notes. I want to know who, who, who's a good student. You guys are such good students. Everybody else, get your notes really fast. Get, get some pieces of paper so you can wave them. All right, write this down. It's not on the screen if you want. If you want to write down the Greek word just, just for fun, again, th th this is good to go in a little bit deeper and to get a little Greek trivia here. The word there is eusebia, E-U-S-E-B-E-I-A, E-U-S-E-B-E-I-A. Eusebia is the word that is translated godliness or piety. And what it means here, it is it's speaking of a particular way of life, living life in a certain way when you live it for God in particular. This is, this is not just any kind of way that we're living. We're living with God in mind, with God in particular. It's a way of life, live for God, that exhibits behavior that is worthy of praise. So Every, it's, it's living, when we are godly, when we're living in a pious way, it means that every aspect of our life, the way that we're carrying ourselves, the way that we're speaking, the things that we are doing, that we have organized and arranged our life, we are aligning our responses, we are aligning the desires of our heart, we're, we're continuing to rearrange them so that what we do actually pleases God. And, and so everything we do, we, the way we spend our money, the way that we talk, the things that we listen to, the things that we watch, the things that we think about in our heart, the very judgments that we make in our mind, all of those things we're aligning so that they please him. That's being godly, right? It speaks of really having a right relationship with God and having a right relationship with other people. If you're going to be godly, if you're going to be like God, if you're going to be this word called pious, which oftentimes we kind of we, we, we don't really know what to think about a word when we talk about a word like pious because we, we think of like a holy man and we almost think of like a saint. That's, for, that's some, you know, for somebody that's almost too good for everybody else. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living in a way that you have right relationships with other people and you have right relationships with God and that everything that you do is alignment with, with that. This is really where our faith is in action. Where, where we take it and we're saying, this, this is not just a nice idea, this affects everything about my life. It reminds me of James chapter 1, right at the end of the chapter, he makes a statement and he says, this is what true religion is. Because he's been talking about a lot of things in, in chapter 1, and he says, but let me just make it very clear, this is what true religion is. In other words, this is what true faith is. It, it's to visit, he says, orphans and widows in their distress. It's to do something with other people that is appropriate, that honors God. To those that are weaker, those that have need, those that are broken, it's to pay attention to them and to treat them correctly. He says to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To, to make sure that I'm treating others correctly and to make sure that I'm living cleanly because it pleases God. I'm, I'm looking more and more like him all the time. That's what godliness is. Now, I want to look at a, a couple of verses with you, and this one is in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that I think speaks a little bit more about, digs into where, where we want to go in terms of developing the, the godliness in our life, that gap that we see oftentimes between where we want to be and where we know the Lord wants us to be. And this is what 1 Timothy chapter 4 says in, in, uh, in verse 7. It says, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Now, Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he, he's actually in almost all of his letters, he's continually warning 
uh, his hearers, Timothy and, and Titus and, and the churches, to be careful that they pay attention to their doctrine, that they don't get caught up in things that are half-truths, that they remember what true Christianity, what true faith is, and, and don't get pulled into partial things. And so when he talks about old, you know, this is idea of, of godless ideas and old wives' tales, he's talking about, literally he's talking about uh, some traditions that he's seeing in the church where they're taking a little bit of the old tradition from old uh, Jewish traditions and mixing it in with a little bit of Greek uh, mythology and asceticism and kind of combining it together in something that sounds spiritual, but that's not actually spiritual. And, and don't you know that it's so easy for us to get pulled into things that sound good and there are a, a little bit of truth in them, but they don't really have it. It's, it's, it's just enough truth to where it sounds good to us, but at the end of the day, it's nothing more than kind of an old wives' tale. It's nothing more than something that we have made up because it makes, it, it makes us feel good. It's enough truth to just sort of get us excited, but it's not a truth, enough truth for us to really live into and really settle into. So he says, be careful. And he says, and don't waste time arguing about stuff that's, that, that's useless. Uh, and there's so many things, there's so many little things that we get into discussions about that don't really have any power. It's not really scriptural, it's not doctrinal, it's not true truth. Now, he says, then instead, train yourself to be godly. So he says, that he gives us a contrast, as he often does. Be careful about these things. Instead, train yourself to be godly. In other words, you can actually do some things if you want to be godly. This is not just... Uh, Lord, would you make me more godly, right? And I, I'm just waiting for you to whammo, you know, that I just give it to me, Lord, and then, then I'm going to be better. No, he says, actually, you're going to have to train yourself. Verse 9, physical training is good, right? Some of us know that, that you know, some of you guys are gym buffs and gym freaks, and, and, and you love the gym, and, and you can get in there, and you know, it, there's some, he says, that's good. He says, it's good to be in shape. It's good to watch your weight. It's good to eat the right things. It's good to live healthy. He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Somebody say, much better. It's much better. Promising, why? Why is it much better? Well, it promises benefits in this life and in the life to come. And I just want to kind of develop this idea with you for, for a few minutes of training for godliness. Uh, Richard Foster said this. He, he said, stop trying to impress people with your clothes and impress them with your life. Now, we could take clothes and we could probably insert a number of different things, right? Stop trying to impress people with your cars and impress them with your life. Just somebody said, you know, if, if, if something hits you, just say, oh yeah, just, you know, just kind of make a little moan and it's, it will be a little Pentecostal for a second, okay? Stop trying to impress people with your shoes. Stop trying to impress people. Somebody didn't like that. We're getting close to home now. Stop trying to impress people with your purses. Stop trying to impress, impress people. This, this is not sexist. We're moving in both directions here. Stop trying to impress people with your bling. Stop trying to impress people with your house, with your education, with your intelligence, with how much you know, with, with your whatever. Stop, stop trying to impress people with those things. Impress them with your life, with the way that you live, with, with the way that you are. See, if you're gonna impress people with your life, it means you're gonna to have to live consistently over a, a long period of time. We're not talking about impressing people with just a moment, 
right? You know, there's some things that sometimes we can impress people for about 15 seconds, right? But to impress them over a period of time is going to require us to change some things in our life. All right, 1 Corinthians, you with me? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And this is where we'll camp for the rest of the time together. Paul goes a little deeper here with us. We're going to go to, to an, another level here and make this very practical. Verse 24 is talking about the same thing, godliness and training. And some of you are familiar with these verses. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it in a, to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So, he says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, now just to, to kind of, let's just go back through those verses just real quick to summarize, because let's make sure that we catch it, because there's a lot there. So, number one, you're in a race. Paul, Paul says, hey, don't, don't, don't you forget, don't miss the thing, you're in a race. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we're involved in a struggle. We're, we're in a, the kind of a race. It began perhaps when we were born, born again in, in Jesus, or born when we were born physically, and it's going to end when we die. We're, we're in a race, and we're engaged in a race, and this is not something that we should go to sleep during this time. We're not just, gonna, we're not just observers. We're not the ones in the stands. We're in the race. We're on the field. We're, we're actually going somewhere. We're, we're, we're running against, and whenever you're in a race, that means some are going to win and some are not going to win. It, it means some are going to make it to the finish and some are not going to make it to the finish, that you're surrounded by a whole bunch of people that are engaged in this race. And so just remember, you're in a race and you might not win, which is kind of sobering. He says, remember, you're engaged in this thing and it's not guaranteed that you're going to win. And you should want to win, is what he's saying. You should actually want to get the prize at the end of the day. You should want to make sure that when you get to that finish line that you actually get the gold medal. It kind of reminds me of the great theologian Nacho Libre who says, I want to win. You know, I mean, he says, I want to win. You know, I mean, no, everybody wants to win. We should want to win. And I think oftentimes as Christians we forget we're, we, sh we should want to win. There's, there's, there's something at stake here. We're, we're involved in a, in a race that we can lose and, and we can shipwreck. And, and we've seen people do it. I've seen lots of people do it. And they've run for a while, for a while. They've run well for a while. And then some, something happens and they get out of the race and they fall and they stumble. And suddenly their family, they're shipwrecked in their faith. Their family is, is, uh, is affected and destroyed many times. You should want to win. You should want to run all the way to the end and get the prize. Now, the thing that we're running for the race that we, the reward that we're going to get is, a, is a, something that lasts forever. It's not just a temporary thing. It's not just the Olympic gold medal. It's, it's not just an earthly reward. It's something that has eternal consequence. And then he says, every step is important. Every step is important. He says, every step that I take, I should take with purpose. Like, we're, we're supposed to be intentional. I think many times we think life is about the big decisions in life. Those big moments of challenge. We're always waiting for the big opportunity or, or the big moral crisis or, or the big temptation. No, no. It's, he says it's about every day. 
It's about the decisions, the little decisions that you make today because the little steps that you take today are what determines what you're going to do when the big things happen tomorrow. It's how you live today that actually prepares you to be able to say no to temptation to, to tomorrow, to be able to say yes to the challenges that faith is going to bring, to be able to stand in the moments of challenge and, and, and persevere when everything within you doesn't want to. Why? Because you're taking every step intentionally. And then he says, he says, that's the interesting thing. He, said, he says, this is not, he says, I'm not shadow boxing. Now, shadow boxing, right, is, is we kind of have all do it, done it at times when, you know, you, but it's, we've seen boxers do it in particular when they stand there and they box in the air. And it looks really cool. And they usually make some, you know, sounds with their mouth. Right? Shadow boxing looks really cool, but it's really for show. There, there, there's not, there's no opponent. You know, you know, there, there's, there's nobody that's actually, there's nothing at risk. I mean, un, unless you might throw your back out, right? Because you haven't actually exercised enough to where you shouldn't be throwing your fist around at all. But it, it, what he's saying is, is that this is not for show. The thing that we're doing is not to impress somebody. It's not to make somebody think we're better than we are. It's not, you know, man, I mean, some shadow, you, you look at some boxers and man, they look tough, right? They, they look ripped. They, when they shadow box or when they're standing there and then they're weighing, you think, man, that guy looks amazing. Well, you really find out really what's about, what the story is about when they get into the ring. And you discover that the way that they look, the way that they shadow box, the, the show that they put on, oftentimes doesn't connect directly with whether they're going to win or not. It, it's when you do it for show. So this is not for show. We're not, we're not trying to impress people. The goal is not to, to look good on Sunday or to, to impress other Christians. This is, this is something different entirely that we're all about. So he says, train at a high level to get the reaction that you want out of your body. Right? He, says, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. So you and I, we should be training. We're in training. We're, we're actually Christians that now we're not training for a physical race, perhaps. We're training now for, this is the race of life. This is the race for eternity. This is the race for the future, for our families, for our communities, for our neighbors. This is everything that we're, so, so we have to train at a high level in order to get the thing that we want out of our body. Because if you're going to be in the Olympics, you're gonna to have to train. And, and every athlete knows it. There's, you, you can be as talented as you want to be. If you don't train every day for hours and hours and hours, you're not going to the Olympics. It just doesn't work that way. Because athletes understand that in order to get your body to perform at the level that you need it to perform in order to win an actual event at the Olympics, you're gonna to have to beat your body into submission and make it do what you want it to do in order to get to the place where you can stand on the podium and said, say, I did it. The only way that we're gonna to get to the end, Paul says, and be truly victorious is if we're willing to beat our body into submission to train at a high level in order to get it to do what we want. Because I don't know about you, but, but my body oftentimes has a mind of its own. It, it tends to do what it wants to do, and if I just go on autopilot, I'm in trouble real fast. And whether it's eating or whether it's on, watching on TV or, or whatever, suddenly I find that my body directs me in ways that are the lowest common denominator. They're not, they don't result in me being an athlete. They don't result me, with me winning any competitions, unless it's some stupid trivia competition, right, because I enjoy reading about World War II history or whatever, right? So failure to train, Paul says, could mean that you could be disqualified. Failure to train could mean that you're disqualified. So why does this matter? 
Well, we talked about it. It matters because it matters eternally. It matters for you. It matters for your family. It matters for your future. There, there's actually, I really do believe this. The way that you live your life today and, and the consistency that you have decided that you're going to live the life of Christ has effects on you, on your immediate family, and then on others around you. And I really believe on generations to come that there's something that you're doing right now with the way that you're choosing to crucify your flesh and your personal desires and to lean into the Holy Spirit to fill those gaps of inadequacy, that as we do that, there's something that's changing that is not just right here, right now. It's changing into the future. It's almost like the genetic material. It's, 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 it's a spiritual heritage that begins to be developed inside of you that you pass down to your kids. So the things that we do today is not just about us. It's not even just about today. It really is about tomorrow. It's about the future. And I want to just tell you two, two quick stories or a story about two people uh, that died, both of them in 2000, uh, I'm sorry, in 1997. One died in September of 97, one died in August of 97. And you know these two people, but these two people represent uh, two different paths. There's a path that we can go in living our life that is, is kind of the path of worldly fame. And there's the path of, of quiet godliness, all right? The path of worldly fame and success. It's a path that we're all tempted to go after and to, uh, I mean, we're sold all the time sort of this idea, whether it's through TV or social media or anything else, that if we can uh, gain more followers, get more people looking at us, impress more people, that there's some, I mean, why else is Kim Kardashian so famous other than we like the idea of fame? And, and we're, we're all fascinated by it. And, we all, and so there's a path that, of temptation that, you know, we'll, we may never be Kim Kardashian, but we in our little ways try to live this life of, of fake fame, of, uh, of impressing others. Or there's a path of, of quiet godliness. And the two people that I think illustrate this in a very powerful way uh, are a woman named Diana and a, and a woman uh, named Teresa. And you might know who I'm talking about, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, Teresa of Calcutta. And Princess Diana, of course, represents uh, a, a path of fame, and Mother Teresa represents a path of quiet godliness. Princess Diana married, uh, you know, a very famous individual, became royalty, and lived a life of, of glamour with as many followers as you can imagine. We all watched her life. Uh, and, and then Mother Teresa, she kind of died pretty famous. Most all of us know who she was, but that's not how she lived her life. She lived her life uh, in a lot of quiet. Uh, and she decided early on in her life that she was going to go to the streets of Calcutta and basically care for those who were dying, those who had terminal illnesses, lepers and others. And, and she basically just, just said, I'm, I'm going to love the least because they, they were dying by themselves on the street. No one would care for them. They would literally lay in the gutter and die as people walked by them. And so she began to just simply wipe the sweat off their brow. And, and love these men and women that were in the worst situation possible uh, and love them to the, to the point where they then were in, in eternity in the Lord's arms. Uh, and, and Teresa, at, at, upon her death, is known and revered. She's a saint, right? The, the church, the Catholic Church, represents her, recognizes her as a saint. Uh, and, and Princess Diana, when, when she died, about a month apart from that, we all recognize that she was famous. Princess Diana represents a pathway that really only one person could ever take. Only one person that could marry, uh, who was her husband, Charles, right? There's only one person that could do that. Um, but, but Mother Teresa represents a path that 
every single one of us can take. It's a, it's a path that leads to eternal, eternal consequence. But I think if, if I'm standing before God, I, I don't know about you, which path would you rather have taken on this life? For all of the fame, for all of the glitter and the glam and all the incredible dresses and outfits and all the parties and all the things that Diana was a part of, all the wealth that she had her hands on, uh, at the end of the day, when you're standing before the Lord, I, I think I would rather come with Teresa's history and her past. Uh, because there's something different about uh, a life of quiet godliness that there is truly eternal consequence, there's eternal value. And it's done oftentimes in secret. It's not, it's not the Instagram famous thing. It, it's, it's not always impressive to everyone around. You know, it took a long time for anyone to recognize that Teresa was really doing anything significant and important because she chose a path of quiet godliness. And I just want to encourage you today that this path that we're talking about, that Peter is encouraging us to add, the gap that he's encouraged us to fill, is not a popular thing. It's not an easy thing. It's, not a, it's, it's a path that the world is constantly selling something other to us, that our life should be about something else. And this is a path instead that God offers to us that if we are willing to engage, it has the power to transform eternity. It has the power to transform people's hearts and their minds. And so how do we do that? I just want to give you quick ideas because um, I told myself I would end early, so we're going to do this. Okay, so how do we train for godliness? Let me just give you three quick things. They, they might be quick to tell you, but they're, they take the rest of your life to live out. Okay? And I, I just want to encourage you just to just get real practical with yourself in, the, in these moments. These are not revolutionary ideas. But these are ideas that have the power to transform your life if you grab a hold of them and then you apply them. So I don't give you these three ideas just so you can write them down and forget them this week and think, you know, you could rehearse them. These are, if, if we actually live them out, they have the power to change everything. So uh, if, if you're going to train for godliness, you have to uh, deal with your schedule, you have to deal with your exercise, and you have to deal with your nutrition. We'll just kind of do it in, in sort of physical terms because we understand that, and we'll make the spiritual application. So first of all, you have to adjust. I have to adjust my schedule. Somebody said, i got to fix my schedule. Your routines, your schedule, what you allow into your life is critical if you want to live a life that is godly. If you want to live a life that has eternal weight and eternal consequence that, that at the end of the day the Lord says to you and to me, well done, good and faithful servant, we are going to have to adjust our schedule now, not later. This is something we do right now. So the things about how we're spending our time, right? The, I'm sorry, verse 25, 1 Corinthians 9, all athletes are disciplined in their training. Discipline means restriction. Discipline means adjustment. Discipline means schedule. Discipline means you got to organize your life in such a way that you actually get the outcomes that you want. If you don't like the way that your life is, you probably need to adjust your schedule. You can complain about it. You can pray about it. You can moan about it to your friends. You can yell about it, you can cry about it. You can write about it, you can post about it, you can do all, but if you don't adjust some things in your life, it won't change, right? You have to, you have to be willing to say, when and where am I gonna make room for God? How am I going to actually change what I'm doing so that I can demonstrate a life that is pursuing who he is? This is not, I mean, following Christ is not just like, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, we do whatever we want. 
This, this actually has implications on everything. So if you're not giving time to it, if you're not prioritizing the things of God, then chances are you're not going to see God in your life. Right? So if you, don't, if you don't adjust your schedule to where you pay attention to God and give him room and you're actually focusing on him, why would you expect that he'll, you'll be able to receive all the blessings that he has for you? So oftentimes as, as American Christians, we live such comfortable lives, we read the scripture and then we just talk about all the blessings that he has for us. Well, if you're not actually adjusting your life, why would you expect that he would actually be able to, you won't be able to receive them. It's not that he doesn't want you to have them. It's not that they're not available to you. You just haven't actually scheduled your life and disciplined yourself in such a way that you can actually receive them. So you have to remove some things. You have to kill some things out of your life that are not helping you to get to the place that you want to be. How do you spend your time? How, what, what do we do? What, what priority does God have in your schedule? What priority does he have in your finances? What priority does he have with your kids and the way that you do your family life and with sports and with all the things we do with our TV watching and all the, I mean, are we willing to adjust our, so what do you need to change in your routine? That's, that's just the question. What do you need to change in your routine? What, what, what do you need to adjust? Because my guess is that for most of us, we, we need to do some tweaks. Uh, I was talking to Mike just the other day, and he told me that he, he just deleted all of his social media stuff off of his phone, Instagram and Facebook, right? You, you don't do TikTok, right? Thank God. It's a whole nother problem. So he just said, I just realized, he said, I realized that I'm, I, you know, I, I would sit there, you got a few minutes. I mean, I know this is not anybody else here, but I'm just, I'm just telling on Mike for a second. You know, this, I know this doesn't happen to anybody else, but you know, you sit there, I got a few minutes, ah, you start looking through Instagram, you scroll through Instagram, pretty soon, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes have passed. Then he says, ah, let me open up Facebook. You scroll through again, he says, I just realized I spent another 20 minutes looking at the same stuff that I saw on the first Instagram 20 minutes, and maybe a few other things, and now I've, I've wasted maybe 30 or 40 minutes, and what do I have to show for it? Nothing. And he says, so, so, so he said, I, I deleted them off my my phone. What do you do with your time now, Mike? There's, there's nothing to do. <laughs> well, suddenly, suddenly now there's other things that he has room for. We, we, we are addicted to time fillers and we're wasting our life because we're not willing to take a hold of our schedule and we're allowing our devices to, dis, to disciple us. We're being discipled by our phones we're being discipled by our social media. We're being discipled by the TV shows that we watch. We're being discipled. When we say, wait a second, maybe I'm being discipled by the wrong person here, the wrong thing. Maybe I need to actually listen to what God says. So adjust your schedule. Secondly, you got to choose to exercise, right? I mean, that, that goes without saying, right? Verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Now, spiritual disciplines are, I, I hate the word discipline, everybody does, but spiritual disciplines are basically the idea that there are certain things that we actually can do to make room for God in our life. It's a way that we organize and reorient our time to make space for him. Now, the, the, let me talk about one in particular, just reading your Bible. The Center for Bible Engagement has done research. They researched Christians, tens of thousands of Christians, and they studied their lives to find out if there was a, how they could find out who was different in, in, in terms of who identified as a Christian, whether their life was actually different from the rest of the world. And they found out, and a fascinating thing, put up that slide if you would, they found out a fascinating thing, and it's called the power of four. What they found is that for people that engage their Bible, either by reading or listening to the scripture, at least four times 
times a week that there was a statistical difference in their life. In other words, if you only read your Bible three or fewer times or not at all, there was no statistical difference from your life to anybody else's life. But, but something happened when people regularly encountered the Bible four days of the week, four significant Bible engagements. They were 228% more likely to share their faith with others. Almost two and a half times more likely to share your faith just by reading your Bible regularly, just by engaging with the scripture. Uh, four, four times more likely to memorize scripture. Well, that, I guess that goes without saying because if you're reading the Bible and you're listening to the Bible often enough, you're going to actually find that you, you begin to remember it, that you begin to hide it in your heart. 59% less likely to view porn. For, they, now, for those that engage the Bible three times or less, no statistical difference at all. But something powerful happens, they found at least uh, with the four, the fourth time. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. But just, isn't it as if the word of God is powerful? that it does something when we encounter it, that it changes something inside of it. I mean, my goodness, isn't it, isn't it like if when you just keep going back to the word, it washes you and it cleanses you and it changes the way that you think about things. It changes the very desires of your heart. It begins to, to tweak your attitudes and your motivations and tweak your behaviors just by the discipline of engaging with God's word, reading it, listening to it. It was actually for them that they didn't find any difference between reading or listening because I know sometimes, you know, some of us have a hard time reading. Praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. That's right. You can listen to it too and it, and it has that, that power and that effect. There's something powerful about God's word. But you're going to have to, you're going to have to exercise. You're going to actually have to, to make that time. You're going to have to choose to engage in the word of God. You're going to have to set aside time to make it happen. I don't know what your schedule is, I don't know what your routine is, but if you really want to live your life differently, if you want to live your life and begin to fill the gaps, one of the greatest things that you can do is get a regular habit of engaging in the Word of God, of just reading the Bible, of just getting into it, of saying, God, boy, you don't need some impressive preacher or some, some friend to tell you stuff that you just get into God's Word. There's nothing like it that will change you. There's nothing as powerful as God's Word. It says the, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It divides. It actually, it judges your motives and your actions. It immediately begins to speak to you. So, so that's just one, a, a, a couple of stats that weren't on there. Uh, and I know these don't apply to anybody in the room, but if you read the Bible four more times per week, you're 57% less likely to get drunk. You're 74% lower odds of gambling. Now, I know in our community, those don't, I mean, nobody struggles with those things. You drink it too much, read the Bible a little bit more. You going out the palace a little too much, read the Bible a little bit more. I don't know, try it try it, right? Maybe, maybe it'll transform your life, getting serious about God's word. But instead, we get to church, and we feel good on Sunday. Yeah, it was a great word. Pastor Andrew spoke pretty good, and I feel jazzed up, and by the time we get around to Wednesday or Thursday, we're back doing the same things we were doing before. Because why? We're, we're not intaking in a regular way through discipline. We're not training for godliness. We're not training for righteousness, and we're not changing the way that we are. So, uh, oh, and I just put up a list of spiritual disciplines, 
There are so many spiritual disciplines uh, that we could work on. Uh, pa- uh, Dallas Willard split them into these two different categories. He split them into disciplines of abstinence, stopping something, and disciplines of engagement, starting something. And, and, and both of those uh, have a number of different uh, spiritual disciplines. So for, stop, for example, uh, solitude is, is spending time by yourself and just in quietness before the Lord. Sometimes we fill our lives with so much activity that there's no room for God. Every moment is filled with a soundtrack or a noise or people talking or us talking or whatever. So a silence, right, is just being quiet. There's an idea. Fasting, you know, not eating food for the purpose of seeking the Lord and putting your body into alignment. Frugality, not spending money that you don't need to spend, spending less than you want to spend. Chastity is actually sort of restricting, restricting yourself and your sexual desires and, and doing it for the purposes of seeking the Lord. Secrecy is not telling other people how great you are. There's an idea. Don't talk about the good things that you have done. Sacrifice, giving up things for the Lord. And then the disciplines of engagement are things like study, right? We talked about God's word. That's the next slide. Study and worship, celebration. We're more familiar with these ones probably. Service, prayer, fellowship, confession. Confession is when you actually are speaking with a brother or sister who you truly trust and love, another brother or sister in Christ, and you're able to tell them, this is what I did. And they look at you and say, you're forgiven in the the name of Jesus. And, there's, and James says when we do that, that there's healing in that. But that requires us to risk telling the truth to someone else. But boy, what a, an incredible freedom that comes when we receive them looking at us and say, I see you, I hear you, and I communicate to you that the Lord forgives you. Because that's exactly what he does. And submission, which is listening to leadership that you don't want to listen to at times. Nobody likes that one. I won't talk about that one, okay? What are the exercises that you need to do? What are you doing in your life to make room for godliness? Maybe you need to, to pick up some things. Maybe for you it's just reading the Bible more. Figure out your calendar, set an alarm, you know, a, a, a delete some things off your phone, remove some things out of your life. All right, number three, I'm gonna end. I must address my nutrition. I must address my nutrition. What are you eating? What are you intaking? One of the quickest ways that you can make room for God in your life is if you take other things out of your life that are filling space. And we all know the the adage that says, you are what you eat, garbage in, garbage out. It's just so easy for us to intake those things. And it doesn't doesn't work to just do a little bit more Bible study and not actually change any of your other habits. That doesn't actually work. You ever been on a diet, right? And, and you just, you're going to eat all the good food, but you don't actually change all the bad food that you eat. It doesn't work very well, right? And so there's some things that have to be removed. You have to start giving yourself spiritual nutrition, asking yourself, what am I feeding on? That's why we're talking about book, reading books that are faith books, like um, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Or, are you feeding on bitterness or are you feeding on forgiveness? Are you feeding on anger and frustration? There's a lot of that today. Or are you feeding on peace and righteousness? What kind of TV and movies are you allowing yourself to feed on? We find it very easy to be entertained today and we make excuses for the things that we watch because we're so, we're desensitized to it. And and so we, 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 I don't know, it's just what has happened to us. We, we, We watch things that are full of all kinds of garbage and it doesn't even phase us anymore, right? Perhaps if we watch less of that, we would actually be shocked a little bit more when we did watch it. 
It might remind us that there's something that we need, that we're lacking inside. What kind of music do you listen to? What kind of social media do you feed on? So what are you eating, right? And what needs, what needs to change? All right, stand to your feet. We're going to end right now. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, so just bow your head. Let's just do some business with the Lord. I know that as, as I was teaching this morning, because whenever we teach the Word of God, the, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to our hearts. And, and so I know that for probably many of us in here today, what you heard him whisper some things to you that you have maybe been feeding on, intaking, or engaged in that is not right. And you just need to say you're sorry. You need to repent. And, uh, and I just want to give that opportunity right now just to say, Lord, Lord, we're just coming in our brokenness. And we just confess, Lord, our, our weakness. We confess our, our, uh, our tendency to feed on things that we shouldn't feed on and be engaged in lifestyles and activities and uh, just satisfying our fleshly desires. We find it so easy, Lord, to get caught up in those things. Would, would you please, would you forgive us? And would you help us to be different? Lord, we don't, we don't want to just receive forgiveness and keep doing the same thing. It's not, we're just not asking for just forgiveness and then we're going to continue on doing it. We're asking you for empowerment to go in the other direction. Lord, that we would be strengthened by your spirit and we'd be committed in our hearts to actually say no, to actually do something different. Help us to organize our life in a different way. Lord, we just receive your strength today. We receive your forgiveness. Thank you that you're a faithful God who's working with us. Thank you, Lord, that we haven't fallen so far that you can't pull us back and you can't restore us and you can't renew us. And so, Lord, we just, if you need to hear that today, just receive your, do receive forgiveness and just say, Lord, now I'm, help me to be different. I'm going to walk different. Maybe you heard some things today that you need to adjust in, in your life. Maybe there's some, a recommitment to some habits that you've fallen out of, uh, whether it's reading the scripture or engaging in prayer, starting to seek the Lord at a higher level. Uh, and, and you're just saying, yes, Lord, I'm hearing you, and I'm going to engage. I just wanted you to raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm going to engage. I, I heard that message. And, and I, as I say that, I just want you to think of that one thing even. Not a million things, not ten things, not five things. That one thing that you're going to do different this week. Maybe you're going to set your schedule differently. You're going to set an alarm. You're going to delete some things off of your, your phone, or you're going to remove some things out of your life. You're going to take some things out of your schedule, and you're going to set in place in those areas some time where you're going to seek the Lord. Lord, we want to do that. Would you help us do that? Jesus, we want to be a house of prayer and worship, a house that seeks your face, a people that are different, that are transformed by you. Lord, I don't want to be a person who is no different than the rest of the world and yet confesses you. I want to be a person that shines brightly, and I know that that's true for each of us, Lord. Make us different. Would you help us to shine bright in the earth? Would you help us to crucify our personal fleshly desires and say yes to you and say yes to you. We just reach out for you. Lord, would you fill your people today? Would you fill your people with your empowerment, with your presence, with your ability? Would you give us a fresh hunger for your word? Would you give us a fresh hunger for the things of God? Would you renew and restore, Lord, our sensitivity to your spirit? Uh, Lord, so many times we have seared our conscience by watching things or thinking about things or seeing things over and over again. Would you now just begin to heal that so that we're once again sensitive? We're once again aware, Holy Spirit. We give you permission. We give you permission to speak to us, Lord, and to correct us and to adjust us 
Lord, we want to listen to you when you tell us, don't watch that, don't do that, don't go there, don't say that. Lord, would you just begin to make us more sensitive? We're gonna, we're gonna listen, Jesus, we're gonna listen. If you wanna commit to that, just say amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.